Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. And uh, we're going to conclude the series kind of where we began the series, with the verse that we used to start off the series. And we're going to go to John chapter 16, verse 7. And Jesus shares these words with his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, and just focus in on that word advantage, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And what stands out to me in that verse is obviously that word advantage. It is to our advantage or our benefit uh, that Jesus goes away so that the Holy Spirit might come. Any of you that's been any, in, in any type of competition or maybe you've been in any type of uh, a game, if there's ever offered an advantage, you take the advantage, right? You don't bypass the advantage. You take the advantage. Why? Because the advantage will benefit you. The, the advantage will give you an upper hand. The advantage will put you in a favorable position. So Jesus said it's, into, it's our advantage that he goes away so that the Holy Spirit would come. Now I want you to think about the words that he's speaking there and who he's speaking them to. I mean, he's sharing them first and foremost to the original disciples. These 12 guys who've done this, Jesus came uh, into their lives, said, hey, come follow me. They drop everything and they start to follow him. Now all of a sudden, this, these 12 men who have decided to drop everything to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, they hear this news from him. Hey, listen, I'm going away, but it's okay. It's to your advantage. The Holy Spirit's going to come in, in my, uh, my absence. And again, think about this. Jesus wasn't some type of celebrity, and the 12 disciples were his groupies who kind of showed up as public appearances. I mean, Jesus knew these men intimately. He selected them personally. He knew their families he spent time in their homes. They shared meals together. They, they traveled throughout the region for three years together. I mean, traveling on the road, you get to know a person, right? And so these disciples knew Jesus intimately. And these men had given up everything in order to follow Jesus. And now all of a sudden he's saying, hey, listen, there's, there's a replacement coming. I'm going to go away, but in my place will be the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I want you to take advantage of this. This is an advantage that I'm giving you to experience the Holy Spirit. So it was an, an advantage to the original disciples. Therefore, it's an advantage to us today. It wasn't just an advantage for them 2,000 years ago. It is a, an advantage for us today. We may want to see Jesus face to face. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says this, I'm going away and it's for your advantage so that the Holy Spirit might come. Let's fast forward because all this conversation takes place on Thursday evening, the evening of the Passover, the, the night that the, the Lord's Supper is instituted, the night that Jesus leaves that place, goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, prays, and arrested. That's where that verse takes place. So let's fast forward now, and we're going to go to this place of, of the resurrection. And it's the early in the morning of the resurrection. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, gather together some spices they go to the tomb because they're going to complete the burial process. If you remember, there was a lot of haste getting Jesus basically off the cross into the tomb. So they're going to kind of finalize the burial process. And when the women arrive, they find the stone that is sealing the tomb rolled away. <clears throat> and if you remember, this is what takes place. They're kind of getting their minds around what's taking place. Why, why is the stone rolled away? Uh, Mark 16, 6, uh, this happens. Two angels appear. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they've laid him. Or see the place where they laid him. It's empty. The tomb is empty. The women are overjoyed, obviously, hearing these words. What do they do? They go to the, back to the disciples, share this good news. The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen. Of course, in response to their words, Peter and John run to the tomb. They find the tomb just as the ladies have reported. So let's go to the later in this day, same day, same in, in the evening. The disciples are gathering together, and they're trying to really make sense what's going on, what's taking place when this happens. John, John chapter 20, verse 19. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, or where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Obviously a resurrected Jesus. Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Obviously, in that moment, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, what takes place? That's the moment when they are born again. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in them. They are born again. So at this point, they're really starting to experience the first advantage that Jesus had spoke of. It is to your advantage that I go away so that the Holy Spirit might come. This is one of the first advantages. You say, well, why is it an advantage? Because Jesus said these words previously, John 3, 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's obviously a great advantage for the Holy Spirit to come if it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to come to dwell in us and make us a new person. So receiving the Holy Spirit isn't just a matter of mental comprehension. You're not born again because you know what Jesus did you know the Bible, you experience new birth. It's not something that you just get up and hear, it's something that happens in here. New birth takes place. New birth is something we experience, and it's the outcome of that experience is this, we become a new creation, a new person. So new birth is also a work of the Spirit. It's not something that you can do. You can't make yourself into a new person, into a new creation. It's impossible to do that. It is a work of the Spirit. And the Bible is very clear about that, John 3, 6 and 7, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. Spirit gives birth to spirit. It is a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of the flesh. Paul describes new birth like this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when did the Holy Spirit make you a new person? When did the Spirit of God take up residency of your life and make you a new person? When did you surrender yourself to Jesus, given the Holy Spirit all the access, all the permission to every nook and cranny of your life where he could take your old self, regenerate you, and make you a new person? When did the Holy Spirit give you a new heart a new, with new desires so that you could live a new life? When, have you, when did you experience that advantage? So let's go back to the conversation Jesus is having with his disciples on the evening of the Last Supper. So let's go back to the evening of the Last Supper where he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Same conversation. Look at these words, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, 
and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And again, note that the, the letter H, the translators uh, capitalize that, reason, that word uh, helper for a reason. That's to show deity. It's, it's showing that it is God, the helper meaning God. It's God the Holy Spirit. And the word another, another helper is defined again, one that is the same. So another, one who is the same. The helper taking the place of Jesus is just like him. So Jesus goes on to say this very next verse, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. And look this, and he will be in you. So the Holy Spirit will abide with us just as Jesus lived with the disciples. But the Holy Spirit does something that Jesus couldn't do. And that is this, that he can abide within us. Jesus had a body. He has flesh and blood. I know he's fully God, he's fully man, but the Holy Spirit could abide within us all simultaneously. And that's the advantage. And when I think of this advantage, I think of the words in the Old Testament of the psalmist David. David writes this in Psalms 139.7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now David writing this is writing this from the perspective that God is with him. God is with him, God's anointed him, but God wasn't inside of him. And here's why, because Jesus had not yet come. He could not yet be born again. David predates Jesus by a thousand years. It wasn't possible for this to take place. And so when the psalmist writes these words, he's understanding that God is with him. But church, we have this wonderful advantage that we have that same confidence with the presence of God in us. He's not just around us, and he is around us, but he's inside of us. He dwells within us. He abides within us. The Old Testament saints long for this day where the presence of God would dwell in them, not just around them and be with them, but wherever they go. Personally, he was there. His presence was in their heart, in their lives. The Old Testament saints looking forward to this, and we often take this for granted. Let's go back to the evening of the resurrection. Jesus breathes on the disciples they receive the Holy Spirit. He dwells in them, makes them a new creation. The disciples spend the next 40 days with Jesus. Jesus, who's been resurrected, he's in a glorified body, spends those next 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them what, about what lays ahead for them. And Luke writes about this uh, concerning that time, Luke 24, 45. <clears throat> and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise. And the promise is capitalized by the translators for a reason because the promise is something dealing with the Holy Spirit we'll see here. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Notice it's not in you because he's already in them. He dwells in them already. They're born again. What's he saying? I, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
To this point, again, the disciples have received the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're born again. You can say, well, isn't that good enough? The Spirit of God dwells in us. No, church, there's another step. Jesus says this, you, you should be endued with power. That word endued means to sink into clothing, to put it on, to clothe oneself. You ever get a bathrobe or that, piece, that, that comfortable uh, clothing that you have, whatever it is, when it's cold or whatever, it's rainy, just slip into it, you just feel comfortable, you're clothed, you're endued. Jesus said when the Father sends the promise of the Holy Spirit, the disciples will be clothed with power. And once they experience that power, that promise, they are released then to begin to preach. If you're unsure of what the promise of the Father is, Jesus makes mention of this promise in Acts 1.8. So in verse 8, he says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit again has what? Come upon you. and You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now again, you may be thinking, I thought the disciples were born again. And yes, they are. The Spirit of God dwells in them. So why would they need to receive the Holy Spirit if they already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them? And it's a great question. But really, that verse didn't say that. Let's go back to it. Look, but you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus said this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said the disciples would be clothed with power. Not only did the Spirit of God dwell in them, but he's going to clothe them with power. That power is called an anointing. And the disciples are born again. The Spirit dwells with them, in them. But they had not yet received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They had not yet been endued with power. When I read these words, my mind instantly goes back to the Old Testament. Because if you think about the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when priests, when kings and prophets were called, they were anointed. Their anointing confirming their calling. They were anointed with oil. Commissioning of these offices would involve this. They would take a horn of oil, pour it, pour it over their heads. That oil would just go all over them, drip down into their clothes. They were in dew. They were clothed with that anointing. So that, that anointing would be significant. It was, again, just kind of signifying that that person was empowered by the Spirit, called of God, clothed with power. The oil was symbolic for consecration. The oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The oil was symbolic that the presence of God in power was with that person. God separating that person from others for a specific duty, a specific calling, a purpose, and he gives them power to do so. Church, that's exactly what happens with the disciples. They're born again, but they have a mission. Here's why we all have a mission. And God says, I don't want you just to have the Spirit in you. I want you to be endued with power, anointed, covered, clothed with power. The disciples were born again. The Spirit of God dwelled in them, but they had not yet experienced the anointing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And likewise, some of you have experienced new birth. Praise God for that. That's the best advantage of all, that you're born again. But there's more to the Holy Spirit than just being born again. The Holy Spirit wants to baptize us, endue us with power. And may I remind you, that, avail that advantage is available to every person here today. Not just people who are called into ministry. Like the disciples, we're all called to preach the gospel and reach lost people. The Holy Spirit will empower us with, to live a Christian life, and he will also do this, enable us to live a Christian life. In the Old Testament, the offices of priest, prophet, king, they were anointed by God to lead people, and people followed them. That's all changed in the New Testament. It's all changed in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God calls people to serve as maybe apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What, to do the work in the ministry? No. 
Those people are called and anointed to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. See, like the disciples, it's a promise we need to experience. Each and every one, not just people who are in leadership, Christian leadership, every one of us. The promise is valid. We all need to experience this promise. Jesus himself is our example. You know, Jesus himself was also anointed with the Holy Spirit. Luke writes this in Acts about the anointing that rested upon Jesus. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went, how, who went out about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Church, Jesus was God in the flesh, but yet he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Why would we ever think that we wouldn't need that anointed upon our, our lives ourselves? With that anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life, Jesus went out preaching the gospel, releasing captives from, uh, from uh, captivity, and doing miraculous things. Why would we not want to experience that same anointing that is available to us today? Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. How, we can't do this in our own strength. There's no way we can live up to that. And that's why the Holy Spirit is our helper. He empowers us to do so. He clothes us with power to do greater works, greater things. If Jesus needed to experience this anointing, why on earth would we think that we ourselves don't need this? If Jesus still makes this promise. It's still accessible to us today. Anyone who is born again, not just certain people, anyone who is born again has access, has an access to his advantage, and you can experience it. Let's go back to the moment prior to Jesus ascending into heaven. He spent 40 days with his disciples. They're born again, but they've not yet been endued with power. And this is again what Jesus writes or says in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. So when does this happen for the disciples? We know they're born again, but they've not yet been endued with power. When do they experience this advantage? When do they take full advantage of this experience, this anointing? When was the Holy Spirit poured out on these people? Acts 2, 1, 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them came upon them, poured out upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. <clears throat> when did the disciples experience this advantage? On the day of Pentecost. They experienced exactly what John the Baptist said they would experience. You remember Matthew three eleven. For I indeed I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he, speaking of Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what do the disciples do with this experience? It's an advantage now they've experienced it. They've experienced new birth. They've experienced this anointing. What do you do with this experience? I mean, do they, do they remain in the upper room, conduct revival meetings? Do they book the upper room for the next six weeks? 
and say, you know what, we're going to conduct six weeks of meetings where people can have encounters with the Holy Spirit all around Israel. We want you to come to Jerusalem and experience what we experience, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No. Disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do with this experience. I'm going to give you this advantage. I've already told you what to do with it. What is that? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. That's exactly what they're supposed to do with this experience. The disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, leave the upper room. And you know this, we don't know if they ever go back there. You know why? Because it's never mentioned again. And yet we as Pentecostals put so, so much significance on our services where we receive from God. Man, this song was playing. This person was singing. This thing happened. We want to duplicate it all over again. That's not the purpose, though. The purpose is to receive experience the advantage, and go out and use the advantage. We get it all messed up in Pentecostal churches. Disciples empowered by the Spirit leave the upper room. Again, we don't know if they ever go back again. It's never mentioned. You know why? Because it's not significant. The significance isn't the upper room. The significance is what they receive. The advantage. They experience the Holy Spirit. They experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was just a place where they received. That's all it was. They received a promise. Instead, the disciples take that anointing they receive in the upper room. What do they do? They go out to their community immediately. They don't wait days, minutes. I mean, they just go out immediately. What do they do? They begin to start to turn the world upside down, starting with Jerusalem. First day of the church, these uh, spirit-baptized disciples, anointed with the Holy Spirit, preach the gospel of the temple courts, 3,000 people get saved. Now, I don't know about you, that's miraculous. That's amazing. They begin to turn the world upside down with just 120 people. Now, we understand this. Even in those days, Jerusalem was a major metropolitan city. And yet these 120 people gathered in a place where no one knew about or just no, you know, no scheduled meetings. Hey, come on the day of Pentecost, and we're going to have this special meeting, and we're going to receive this promise. No, they were simply up in that upper room praying and seeking out and waiting for this promise. And what takes place is they experience this promise, and they begin to operate in this promise. The church started with just 120 people, 120 born-again believers who received this advantage. They experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what fueled them was, like, was compelling within them. They had a fire burning within them, a compassion what, to reach the lost, to fulfill their calling, to do what Jesus has called them to do. What, what if this happened? What if Holt Assembly of God had the same experience and response? What would our community look like if we had the same experience and the same response? What if we had the same experience with this advantage that Jesus gives us today? What would our community look like? Just with the amount of born-again believers we have here this morning, we could turn our little community upside down. I don't mean flaky, kooky, crazy, none of that. Back to God. Repentance. A true relationship with Christ. There are enough of us in this room this morning who can experience this power that is available to us that could turn our community upside down. All of us are called to reach our community. Not just me, not the leaders. Every one of us are called. Every one of us have access to this wonderful blessing, this wonderful promise where we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have the anointing of God resting upon our lives. Church, we need to take advantage of this promise.
Every one of us needs to take advantage of this promise. The promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. For as many as the Lord will call. It's generational. We experience the Holy Spirit prior to salvation. I want you to go back in your mind. Just think about this advantage that we have. I mean, even before you received the Holy Spirit, even before you were born again, the Holy Spirit was active in your life. He was drawing you to a place of repentance. He was revealing this, that you know what? You're not living right. You need a Savior. He was already drawing you to repentance. And when you respond to Jesus by faith, you have this experience called new birth. The Holy Spirit transforms your life, makes you a new person. Then we experience new birth, and we have this transforming power that takes place in us. And then we experience another blessing. We have another advantage. We're empowered to live a Spirit-filled life. We experience new birth and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We experience an anointing. We're born again, yes, but thank God we have this wonderful promise. So here's the question. When you think about just those basics of Christianity, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit? Is that the, the experience that has, has resulted in a changed life? Or have you just simply become religious? Think about this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed continuously. It's not, oh, I was born again, I was changed. No, continuous change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, religion doesn't do that. Just going to church, going through the motions, even doing your devotions, doesn't do that. I'm not saying we stop doing those things. But I'm just saying this, if they're not resulting in change, something's wrong. And it's okay to admit it. Now, God ain't broke. The Holy Spirit's not broke. And we just have to come back to right here. Why am I not being changed? Why am I not being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord? And it might just be that, that you're trying to change yourself, and guess what? You can't do it. You can't get enough Dr. Phil. It ain't going to work. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm just telling you, true change, true transformation by the Spirit of God. If not, then why? Why not? Why aren't we experiencing the Holy Spirit? Why aren't we experiencing this advantage that the early church experienced? We're not talking perfection. The Holy Spirit is not broken. He's not out of power. He's not out of business. God is still pouring out His Spirit on His people. But His people have to be hungry. His people have to be receptive. You know what? If the disciples said this, you know what, we're going to skip Jerusalem. We're just going to go out and do our thing. They would have missed it. They were obedient. They sought His faith. They sought this promise. God is still pouring out His Spirit on people who are hungry. Some of us just aren't hungry. Let's just face it. We feed on other things. We are satisfied on other things. But yet it leaves our soul longing for something. Something you can't fill with money. Something you can't fill with an experience. There's no drug. There's no sexual activity. There's not enough money. There's not enough things to fill what God has put in you. You say, well, we often talk this way to unbelievers. We should talk that way to each other as believers. See, the Holy Spirit is calling us to draw closer to him. You may be born again, praise God. I'm so so grateful for that. But if you aren't experiencing the Holy Spirit like you should or could, you've settled for a substitute, you just need to admit it that it's okay, religion. It's just religion. You know, when you go through those 12-step programs and 
different things. You sit down in the circle, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. It's okay, you're amongst friends here this morning. We can sit down and say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I've just become religious. You know, the more you can come to grips with that, the quicker change can come to your life by the Spirit of God. An honest heart, a transparent heart, is something the Spirit of God can really do a transformational work within. I want to share a list with you concerning uh, the interaction of the Holy Spirit with believers in the New Testament. And this is not an exhaustive list. But I want to share this list. I want, to see, I want you to see the central role that the Holy Spirit played in the lives of everyday believers. How they not only um, knew about the Holy Spirit, but they experienced the Holy Spirit. The, an advantage was given to them, and it wasn't just like up here in their, in their heads. It was an advantage that was in their hearts, and it was an advantage that they lived out. So seeing this list, I want you to ask yourself, am I experiencing the Holy Spirit like this in my daily life? Are you taking advantage of the promises that are available to you as a believer? Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit like this in your own personal life? Let's start off, look at this. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. In Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit empowers us. In Romans 8.14, the Holy Spirit leads us. Acts 2.4, the Holy Spirit fills us. 1 Corinthians 12.11, the Holy Spirit gives or distributes gifts. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Acts 9, 31, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the Holy Spirit gives us life. Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit searches us. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, the Holy Spirit teaches us. 2, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, the Holy Spirit liberates us. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, the Holy Spirit transforms us. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the Holy Spirit fellowships with us. John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Galatians 5, 16, we can walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 18, we can be led by the Spirit. Jude 1, 20, we can pray in the Spirit. Are you getting the picture? The New Testament believer didn't just think about the Holy Spirit, know, know about the Holy Spirit. No, they experienced the Holy Spirit. It was an advantage. Jesus said this, I am going away so that the Holy Spirit might come. You'll have a helper who is just like me. But this will be the, great, the added benefit. He just won't be around you and with you. He will be in you and upon you. Another helper, a comforter. Jesus said it is to our advantage. Oh, I just wish I could see Jesus' face. I wish he was here today. Jesus would say, what's wrong with you? I told you, this is an advantage. Why aren't you taking advantage of this? We've experienced as much of the Holy Spirit as we desire. Each and every one of us. We have all the Holy Spirit that we want in our lives. The only thing that holds the Holy Spirit back is you. Well, I don't know about that. I, I, you know, I'm going to blame. It's your fault, Pastor. I don't have enough of the Holy Spirit because of you or the church or the music minister, or the youth group, or the men's group, or the women's group. 
You can blame your last church, you can blame your previous pastor. Good or bad, doesn't matter. The fact remains this. You can make all the excuses that you want, but you have as much and experience the Holy Spirit into whatever depth that you do because of your desires. Now, I understand there can be things that can, can, can work against that, but at the end of the day, I want you to put yourself in the lives of these early believers. We live a pretty posh life compared to them. And if they depended on the Holy Spirit, if they interacted with the Holy Spirit, if they had all this wonderful advantage that they took care of, why are we any different? There's no one breathing down our necks here this morning that said, you can't gather together and preach Jesus. You have total freedom and liberty to gather together and worship this morning. Church, we are as close to the Holy Spirit as we want to be. And we can play the blame game all we want. But at the end of the day, it comes to this. Whatever you're hungry for, whatever you desire, whatever you thirst for, that's what you dine upon, you feast upon. The closeness and the richness of your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is solely based on your desires. Jesus has given you every advantage. He's given us every advantage. And if this message is for no one else, I'm preaching it right to myself. Given us a wonderful advantage experience. The only thing that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of this advantage is us. We ourselves. Listen to what Jesus says concerning our experience of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 34, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. He gives the Spirit without limit. Read the book of Acts, and notice how the early church relied upon the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Acts, and you'll see very clearly throughout the early church how they experienced the Holy Spirit. They didn't just talk about him or reference him, Though no, they experienced him daily in a relationship. The same helper, the same Holy Spirit who Jesus promised would be an advantage to us is available to us to know and to experience today. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Are you experiencing this advantage? One of the reasons Jesus gave his life was for us to experience this advantage. I understand he gave his life to redeem us so we could be children of God, rightly related to God, but right upon that is to experience this advantage. Do you want to experience the Holy Spirit more in your life? That is up to you. I can't determine that. You know, I, I know a lot of pastors try this, and we, it is so, it is so uh, tempting to do this, to try to create something for you to get you excited but at the end of the day, if it is all on me, that's not on the Holy Spirit. And as much as I would love to do that, I just can't do that anymore, church. I just can't do it. You've got to be hungry for him. Jeremiah 29, 12 says this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I don't know what you're seeking for. I don't know what you're looking for. But without Jesus, you'll never find it.
Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.